Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Well, happy second birthday, Trinity Church. Happy, happy birthday. We sure love you. And I just am so encouraged by what God has done for us, in us, and through us, amen? In two years, two years ago, we started this church. Our family moved here. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have anything. We were hoping and praying God would give us a building. And he answered our Jetsons prayer. What a wonderful church home that we have. And we prayed for wonderful people. And I just wanna tell you how much we love you. We appreciate you. We thank God for you. I don't think we should clone people, but if we have to clone people, I'm voting to clone our people, amen. We've got the best people in the whole world. And if you are here and you're new and you're visiting, we're glad to have you. And what's interesting is you're gonna get to know some great people if you just take a few moments at some point during the day to introduce yourself. And I was thinking about it. When we first moved here, we didn't know anyone Family of seven, Grace and I and five kids. And so everyone we had to meet, we had to do that awkward introduction. And the way it it always works, especially when you're meeting someone new, what's the first thing you do when you wanna begin a relationship? You you introduce yourself and you tell them your name. Unless you're a single gal, then you give them a fake name so they don't bother you. But if if you really want a relationship with somebody, you say, hi, my name is so-and-so, that's the beginning of the relationship. Then they respond, hey, this is my name and that's how the relationship begins. Well, that's curiously enough what I wanna talk about today as we look at Jesus, the great I am. We're gonna see how God introduces himself to us and he wants us to respond so that we can have a relationship. And as we're um, in John's gospel, and if you're new, we're studying the gospel of John for a year. Uh, Jesus' best friend, John, who was there through Jesus' life and ministry, he writes this book of the Bible. And on seven different occasions, he tells us that Jesus introduces himself as the I am. Well, this starts all the way back in Exodus chapter three, verse 14. There's an Old Testament book of the Bible. It's actually the second book in your Bible. And here's where we find um, Exodus 3, 13 and 14. Slide, please. Look at this. God comes to introduce himself to his people. Let me give you the context. So God's people are in a nation called Egypt. It was the biggest, longest standing, most powerful, preeminent nation and empire in the history of the world. It it was actually bigger, more powerful and longer standing than even the United States of America. And they had a pantheon of gods. They believed in all gods, all goddesses, all religions, all spiritualities. And the basic concept was whatever works for you, just go with that. And whatever you want to call God, just feel free to call God whatever works for you. And then what happens is the real God who is over all other false gods, religions, ideologies, and spiritualities, he shows up and he has a meeting with a guy named Moses, one of the most important men in the history of the world. And Moses is having a conversation with this God. God comes humbly and God comes simply. That gives us a little indication of how Jesus is going to come. And then Moses asks, well, when I go back and I tell all the people that there is a real God who's over all the false gods and he has a name and he wants a relationship with them, what's your name? How many of you have ever had that awkward situation where you've had a conversation with someone and you didn't get their name? You're like, oh, who'd you talk to? Grace and I do this all the time. Who'd you talk to today? Oh, a really nice person. What's their name? I, I don't know. Well, I, I, don't, I forgot to get that. So before he leaves the conversation, Moses asks, what's your name? Uh, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? Hey, God, what's your name? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Pretty cool name. And he said 
say this to the people, I am has sent you. So God says, here's my name, I am. Well, here's what it tells us. Number one, the fact that God has a name means God is personal and relational, right? We tend to think, some people tend to think of God as being impersonal and non-relational, just like the force in Star Wars. God is personal, God is relational, God has a name. God has a name. Furthermore, God reveals his own name. Uh, When we name someone, we have some measure of authority over them. So Grace and I, we've got five kids. We name them because we're the parents. We've also got a German shepherd. She didn't name herself, we named her. We don't get to name God, hear me in this, we don't get to name God, God names himself because no one has authority over God. And as a result, God is personal, relational, has a name, names himself, reveals himself as the creator God, the God without beginning or end, the eternal I am, not I was or I will be, but I always active present tense, constantly am. This is the God who is without beginning or end. And he reveals himself to Moses. Well, let me tell you what happens at this point. God's people receive this name and they carry this name forward for generations. But they are so afraid of misspeaking or what they would call blaspheming God's name. One of the 10 commandments says, don't take God's name in vain. Well, God gave them his sacred name and they were so afraid that they would spell it wrong that actually they didn't spell it out. They were so afraid that they might say God's name inadvertently. How many of you have used God's name in vain? I mean, don't raise it. My dad was a union drywaller. So this, this was a part-time job for us, taking the Lord's name in vain, right? So how many of you, you say the Lord's name in vain? They were so afraid of saying the Lord's name in vain that they wouldn't even say this name of God. It was that sacred, that special. It was that hallowed, it was that holy. For 1,400 years, God's people would not write out this full name and they would not say it. And then Jesus Christ shows up. He's in his early 30s. He's preaching, teaching, doing ministry. And people start asking Jesus, well, who are you? What's your name? And this will blow your mind. What do you think he says? I am. You can't say that. We don't even write that name. We don't say that name, let alone put it on our name tag. Jesus shows up declaring himself on seven occasions in John's gospel to be God. Here's what I need you to know. There is no other major world religion in which the founder says, I'm God. Jesus says this openly, publicly, repeatedly, emphatically, and clearly. And we're gonna look now at the seven occasions in John's gospel where Jesus says, I am. He takes that name for God and he shows that he is the God who met with Moses. And in doing so, what Jesus is gonna do, he's gonna take a need that you and I have in our physical body, and he is going to use that to illustrate a spiritual truth. Because God made you and he made me and he made us with two parts. He made us with a physical material body and he made us with an invisible immaterial spiritual soul. And what happens is we pay way more attention to our body than our soul. We spend way more money on our body than we do our soul. We give way more attention to our body than we do our soul. And God made you as one person in two parts, a body and a soul, and he cares about both. And Jesus wants to meet both your physical and your spiritual needs. So we'll look at all seven. Here is the first one. Jesus says in uh, John chapter six, I am the bread of life. Jesus said to them, I am. Again, just don't overlook how incredible that statement is. No one would say this name for 1,400 years. And Jesus says, my name is I am. I am the bread of life. How many of you like bread? 
How many of you are gluten-free? You're like, can I still go to heaven? You can, but you'll just be sad because you go to heaven with no bread in your belly. But when you get to heaven, your, your gluten intolerance is going to be healed and you will eat perfect bread with the bread of life forever, amen? Heaven for you is an eternal sandwich and cinnamon roll. Just hang in there. Just get home, dear friend. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has what kind of life? Eternal life. I am, he says it again, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that you may eat of it and not die. Says it again, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Here's what Jesus is saying. Every day we think about how to feed our body, amen? We do. Some of us think about this too much, okay? Some of us, yeah, one guy said amen and his wife, amen too. Okay, so what happens is we tend to wake up every day. Here's the question I ask Grace every day. What's for dinner? After I ask her, what's for lunch? After I ask her, what's for breakfast? After I ask her, do we have any snacks? That's a lot of our conversations at the Driscoll house. Right, which explains why this suit is tight. Okay, so what happens is we tend to think a lot about what we're gonna eat to nourish our body. And that's okay, God wants you to nourish your body. And so what he says is in the Old Testament, when God's people were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they're in the middle of the desert, kind of like the place that we live, there's no food. And so the story was that God sent manna or bread down from heaven every morning for that day. That's where Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's what God does. He provides provision and he provides it every day. And just as the bread came down from heaven to nourish God's people's body, here is God himself coming down from heaven to nourish their soul, to nourish their soul. We live in a world, we have the food network, we have food channels, we have recipe websites, we have restaurants, we have takeout, we have delivery. We have all of these ways to bring food to the body, but there is far less interest in bringing nourishment to the soul. Some of you, this is why you're struggling and suffering. Your body is nourished, but your soul is starving. And Jesus is addressing this deepest need. So what about the soul? How do you feed your soul? Well, number one, you can starve your soul. And some of you, I love you, I wanna help you. Part of your struggle is not physical, it's spiritual. That you're starving your soul. You're not feeding it the word of God. You're not feeding it prayer. You're not feeding it relationship with Jesus Christ. So your soul is in the process of starving. And sometimes we see tragic things in this world where there are people who their external life is flourishing. They're rich, they're powerful, they're famous, they're successful, they're despairing. Sometimes they're even taking their own life. And we ask, how could that be? because you can have a life that is abundance and a soul that is starving. That internally, you're just not well, you're not okay. You could starve your soul, you can also sicken your soul. How many of you, like me, you had to learn what to eat? When Grace and I first got married, she was very health conscious. I preferred an Edo's diet. So Doritos, Cheetos, Fritos, Taquitos, Burritos. I, I was firmly committed to an Edo's diet. I did not eat well. As a result, I got physically sick. I felt sluggish. I felt unhealthy. And meanwhile, grace is flourishing and I'm struggling. Some of you, what you've done to your soul is you've, you've really made it sick. You've fed it bad spirituality, bad religion, bad pop psychology, bad ideology. And as a result, your soul is sick. It's not healthy. It's not well. And let me say this. We don't live our life outward in. We live our life inward out. 
which means everything out here can be okay and everything in here cannot be okay. If everything in here is okay, you'll be okay even if everything out there is not okay. And so you can starve your soul, you can stick it, sicken, um, sicken your soul, or you can, what does Jesus say? You could feast on a relationship with God that satisfies the soul. And that's exactly what he says. So how do you have this relationship? He says, I am the bread of life. Just as much as your body needs food, your soul needs Jesus. Just as much as your body needs food, your soul needs Jesus. Which means every morning when you wake up and your body has a hunger cry, your soul also has a hunger cry and both of those needs need to be met. Say, how do you meet this spiritual need with Jesus? He says, well, you shall not hunger, you shall never thirst, you shall not die, you shall live forever. And he asks, you may ask the question, well, how do we nourish our soul? He says, do, he says, whoever believes in me. So my question to you is, do you believe in Jesus Christ? That is the beginning of feeding, of nourishing, of satisfying your soul. Some of you say, well, I, I believe in God. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Some of you would say, I believe in spirituality. You might be feeding junk food to your soul. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And this is where your relationship with Jesus is your most important priority. It is the feeding and nourishing and satisfying of the soul that God gave you from which you live your whole life. So my first question is, do you believe in Jesus? Have you received Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus? Just as you would partake of nourishment for the body, have you received this life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ at the level of the soul? Second thing Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, what Jesus does, he keeps saying he's God and he will give us some physical need and he'll use it as an illustration of a deeper spiritual need. Well, the, the question here is how do we live in a physically dark world? Well, in their day, they didn't have electricity. So as soon as the sun started to set, you would start your journey home and you would light a candle in your house or you'd take a lantern with you, but it was dangerous to venture out in the darkness. Here's what you need to know spiritually. The world we live in is dark and getting darker. I know some people will tell you, I believe in evolution. And that is that we're good and getting better. How many of you have an internet connection, have looked at something on the earth and realized that's not true. Things are not getting better, amen? Things are getting worse. The world is getting darker. It is less safe. It is less joyful. It is less life-giving. The question is, well, how do we live in a spiritually dark world? Well, the atheist would say, there is no light. There is no God apart from the system to shine light into the system. Those who would hold an Eastern religion would say that the light is not out in God, it's inside of you. So the goal is to go into yourself, to know yourself, to examine yourself and to find that divine spark of light within you. What all called the pluralists will say, there are many religions and each of them has their own light, so just follow it. But they don't all lead to the same place. Jesus comes and what he says, I am the light of the world. He is the light for all the nations, all the peoples, all the places, all the times, all the circumstances. And he is, he declares the light of the world. And so what he's talking about here is following him. This is his question, whoever follows me. So not only is it important to see light, but you have to follow it, amen? Otherwise you're in darkness. 
The world is spiritually dark. The only way to navigate this spiritually dark world is to follow Jesus. So the first question was, do you believe in Jesus? And if not, we want you to believe in Jesus today. The next question is, are you following Jesus? Some of you have believed in Jesus. You're like, I believe he is the light. I'm just not following him. In sin, I've wandered or strayed, or maybe out of fear, I have not taken that next step of obedience. Are you following him? I'll give you an illustration. I was thinking about it this week. When I was in college, I became a Christian in college at the age of 19, and some buddies and I from the church, good guys, decided we were gonna head out kind of middle of nowhere alongside of a river, and we were gonna camp for a weekend, kind of guys time away, throw the football, swim, hang out, get a break, whatever the case may be. So the guys loaded up cars and they sort of carpooled together. And I had uh, an old Chevy pickup truck. And so I took all the gear in the back of the truck and drove the truck. Well, we went down on the river, we camped and hung out and had a good time as guys. And then it was Sunday night and we kind of had exams coming up on Monday. And so we needed to get back and the sun is setting and it's like, okay, we've got a bit of a drive and it's dark, windy roads, middle of nowhere, just farmers and fields. And oftentimes there were deer running across the road. So you gotta be careful. Well, we start driving, my headlights go out in my truck. I think it was a fuse, an old truck. So I pull over, the guys pull over like, what's going on? I was like, my lights are out. I, I'm in the dark. Like it's, it's now sun has set utter complete pitch darkness. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I can't, I can't get home. There's no way I can make this long journey in the darkness. So we sat and talked and one of the guys said, well, okay. He said, well, my headlights work. So why don't you just stay close to me and trust me that I see where we're going, even though you don't, and just stay close to me and just follow me. Don't hit me please, but please follow me. And then what I will do, I will lead you home. And that's what we did. I just, I didn't need to see everything. I just needed to follow him. And by following him, I trusted that he saw what I could not see and that he would take me to where I could not go. That's Jesus' role in your life, amen? You say, I don't know where this is going. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know how to navigate the darkness of this world. I don't know what happens on the other side of the grave. And what Jesus says is, don't worry about all of that. Just follow me. I am the light of the world. Just follow me and I will get you safely home. Third thing that Jesus says, he says, I am the door to heaven. John 10, seven through nine, Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am. And again, I just wanna keep reiterating this point. For 1400 years, nobody said the word I am. Jesus said, I am. That's amazing. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we love you, we're glad to have you. But what Jesus said, my friend, it's either true or it is in fact false. And if it's true, then he's God. And if it's false, he's the worst liar in the history of the world. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. How many of you don't have a sheep? Or we don't live in a real sheep-filled context, amen? I have a German shepherd. We used to have a German shepherd. She would run over the acreage and protect the family. We moved to Arizona. Now she lays in the house and sheds. That's all she does. That's all she does. We don't need a dog. If you need a dog, I could answer your prayer. Uh, I actually bought a Roomba to follow the dog around. The dog killed the Roomba. The Roomba died, it died. Couldn't even keep up with the dog. So, but for, for, for the shepherd in that day, they love their sheep like we love our pets. Amen, how many of you love your pet, right? Because right, they're not like your kids. They're not gonna grow up, get a driver's license and betray you. They're faithful, okay? So you love your, you love your pet. 
So they, they, the shepherd loved their sheep like we love our pets. And the shepherd would look after and care for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go out and find pasture. Well, the question is, how do we live in a dangerous physical world? Well, we, we have a door. We have a door on our house. Do you have a door on your house? Yeah, you should. Something to pray about. Right? So why do we put a door on the house? Because we love, because we love. We love the people who live in the house. In that day, when a shepherd would take their sheep into town, the, the sheep would tend to pasture wherever they could find food to eat. And then the sheep would be brought into town. They would be put into a pen and then the shepherd would lock a gate. This was to protect the sheep that he loves. Because if the sheep wander off, the wolves will devour them. And if there is no gate, either way, the wolves will come in and destroy them. Here's what you need to know. This world is dangerous, amen? I mean, it is a dangerous place and so we need doors. Let me say this, here's what Jesus is illustrating. What he's saying is that heaven is the Father's house. God the Father has a house, it's called heaven. God the Father's house has a door. Not everybody gets to go to the Father's house. Only the people that have a loving, healthy relationship with the Father and love the family. Some of you have heard, oh, a good, loving God would never close heaven to people. He would, he would never send people to hell. And I would say, a good, loving God has to put a door on the house out of love for the family, amen? To me, every person who doesn't believe in hell should take the door off the front of their house just to be consistent. If you believe that God should welcome everybody, you should welcome everybody. You say, oh no, that's dangerous. Well, imagine forever, right? Whoever wants to come in and do whatever they want to do, that's dangerous. The reason that God puts a door on the front of his house is because he loves his family. It's because he loves his family. And what he says is, well, if you want a relationship with me, I will forgive you, love you, adopt you, and you can come in and be part of the family but if you're not part of the family, I can't let you in because I love the family. And if you're not going to love the family, I can't welcome you into my home. Make sense? How many of you, somebody come to you and said, I hate you, I hate your family. Can I live with you? The answer is no, I'm not even gonna pray about it. The answer is no. I don't even know, I don't, I don't even ask the Lord. I, rock, paper, scissors, no, you, you cannot come. So here's what Jesus is saying, that God's eternal kingdom, heaven is a home. People are living on the earth. And the question is, well, how do I get from this earth to that home? The answer is, you gotta pass through Jesus. He's the door, he's the threshold. So my question to you, dear friend, have you crossed that threshold? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you come and said, Father, I'd like to be part of the family. And he says, well, then you, you need to, confess your sins to Jesus. You need to belong to Jesus. You need to receive the love of Jesus. You need to respond to the love of Jesus. And if so, you can join the family and be with us forever. I've got a place for you. But ultimately no one gets into the father's home unless they pass through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the door, amen? How many of you people at night, you check the door on your house. How many of you are like me? You check it seven times. I'm a little bit paranoid. I wanna make sure, make sure, make sure, make sure that the family is okay. And if I welcome you into our home and you get to sit at my dining room table and you get to hang out with my best friend and our five kids, 
It's because I love you and you are safe. God is a father. He has a father's heart. He welcomes you to be part of the family, but the only way to have entrance to his home is through faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, number four, I am the good shepherd. John 10, 11 through 15, Jesus says, I am, he says it again, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Here's Jesus' question. Who are you going to trust to lead you in this life? That's the issue. Some of us have this myth. Well, I'm an independent person. None of us are. There is a boss at work, there is a parent at home, there is a confidant, a trustworthy friend, a counselor, a teacher, a professor, somebody somewhere, a coach has greatly influenced you. And as a result, you're following their leadership in your life. And what Jesus says is there really are two kinds of people. And then there is a third that he puts himself in the category of, but the first is the hired hand. These are people who use you. You think that they love you until it inconveniences them or costs them, and then they are gone. Okay, don't raise your hand, but how many of you, this has been your experience, you're like, I thought we were friends. Hard time came, you're gone. I thought we loved each other and we were married. Tough time came, you hit the eject button, you disappeared on me. I, I thought we were gonna be together and do life together, and as long as things were good, you were there. As soon as things were bad, you were gone. That's the hired hand. Jesus says there is also the wolf the wolf doesn't just use you, they abuse you. They are takers, not givers. They are devourers, not life givers. Some of you have had people come into your life and you're like a sheep and they're like a wolf. You're like, they took my money, they took my joy, they, they, they just, just, they wrecked me. The world is filled with people like that. And Jesus says that we are sheep. Just so you know, sheep are pretty weak, right? I mean, sheep... Here's a sheep. They're vegetarians, right? They're vegetarians. All they eat is whatever they can find on the ground. Uh, sheep are also pacifists. They don't believe in violence. They never fight anybody or anything. And they're homeless. So basically, they're hippies. Okay, so sheep are hippies. They're homeless, pacifists, vegetarians. And nobody's scared of them, right? Nobody's, we tell kids, you can't sleep, count, count hippies. Okay, count hippies, you'll sleep just fine. And so what a, what a sheep needs, they need a shepherd. Now, some of you, some of you guys, I know there's guys who can hear this, you're like, I'm tough. You're tough for a sheep, okay? Which, it's like my friend who once told me, he always told me, I was the toughest kid in my school. Now I meet his mom and he was homeschooled with his little sister. I was like, well, <laughs> technically you were the toughest kid in your school, but I don't, I don't feel like they're gonna get you a gold belt and put you in a cage for this, right? I mean, it... You're a sheep, you're a sheep. And you say, I'm tough sheep. You're, okay, tough sheep, okay. You're a tough sheep, still sheep. Sheep all need a shepherd. And the shepherd is not the one who uses or abuses, but they love and serve. And what Jesus says is, there are a lot of people that are gonna be there as long as it benefits them. There are a lot of people that'll be there as long as it is a win for them and a lose for you. Jesus says, I am here to lay down my life. I am not only a shepherd, I'm a good shepherd, I love you and I'm here to get between you and danger to die so that you might live. 
Here's what you need to know, friends. You're going to hell. So Jesus gets in the middle. Satan and demons have absolutely taken over this planet and Jesus comes and gets in the middle. The death is coming for you and Jesus gets in the middle. And what he does, he dies in our place to forgive our sins. He defeats our enemy of death. He conquers Satan and demons. He dies that we might live. He does what is best for you and what comes at his own personal expense, amen? This is why we love Jesus so much. How many people in your life are like this? You're like, you know what? They care more about me than they do their own well-being. Jesus alone is a good shepherd. And so then the question is, he asked this question, do you know me? Do you know me? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your good shepherd? Do you know Jesus as your need for salvation from danger? Number five, again, there are seven of these. Number five, Jesus says, I am the resurrection of the life. John 11, 25, 26. Jesus said, I am, he says it again, the resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked a question, do you believe this? So the, the context here is one of his best friends, a guy named Lazarus died. So Jesus is on his way to the funeral. When's the last time you've been at a funeral? When we arrive at a funeral, we, we arrive at reality. Death comes for us all. And there's something in death that just feels wrong, amen? Like, this shouldn't be like this. The Bible says that death is an enemy. It's a problem that Jesus comes to solve. God is the living God. When we sin, we disconnect ourselves from the living God. And as a result, death comes. And because we all sin, we all die. So the physical issue that Jesus is speaking to here, as he's preparing for the funeral of his best friend, how do we defeat death? How do we defeat death? Now, what we try to do, we try to extend our life. So we eat vitamins, we drink bottled water, we buckle up. We try to live as long as we can, but eventually we all die. Let me tell you this, the most important day of your life is the last day. The day you were born, that's an important day. The day you get married, that's an important day. The day your child is born, that's an important day. The most important day of your life, last day. The day that you die, is the most important day of your life. And on that day, your eternal destiny is entered into, be that in God's presence for blessing or in hell for punishment. And so what, what the question is, is, well, how do we beat death? How do we defeat death? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And what Jesus is intimating here and what he is going to do shortly, he is going to die on a Roman cross in your place for your sins. God comes down and he lives perfect sinless life. And he is put to death and he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the resurrection and the life. I have good news for you. Jesus Christ, three days after he was crucified, he rose from death. It was on a Sunday. That's why God's people stopped worshiping on Saturday, started worshiping on Sunday. It's why we're here on Sunday. If Jesus were dead, this church would not exist. Christianity is the biggest movement in the history of the world would not exist and no one would be meeting on a Sunday. But it's the day of Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus conquers sin, Jesus conquers death, Jesus dies for your sin, Jesus rises as your savior. And what he says is, I'm the resurrection and the life. 
Jesus is the only religious leader to promise us that he is God and he is the only one to conquer death. So when you die, you follow Jesus, you trust Jesus. And his question to you, my friend, is this, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That there is no conquering of death or eternal life apart from Jesus? Number six, Jesus says, I am the true vine. John 15, five and nine, I am the vine. How many of you are gardeners? Don't you love how Jesus takes all the practical stuff of our life? Next time you flip a switch, say, Jesus is the light of the world. Next time you turn your headlights on, Jesus is the light of the world. Next time you open a door, Jesus is the door to heaven. Next time you go out and do a little gardening, Jesus is the true vine. He's trying to show us that everything in our life is an illustration of a relationship with him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Does the vine need the branches or do the branches need the vine? The branches need the vine. The the vine will be okay with or without the branches. Many of you, here's your problem. You think that you are the vine. You're not, you're the branch. By being connected to Jesus and receiving his life energy of the Holy Spirit, you can remain a person who is healthy and flourishing. Whoever abides in me, this is relational terms, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing, nothing that counts eternally. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. How many of you have pruned something? Right? Those things are thrown away. Jesus is the vine, you are the branch. There are painful times in your life that my friends, he is going to prune you. How many of you are in a pruning season? What a pruning season is, it's a painful season. But if we don't prune, eventually we stop being fruitful. Um, Some years ago, we had a big apple tree in our yard. We moved into a home that used to be an apple orchard. And for years, nobody ever pruned these trees. And as a result, we had one tree, it was not that tall, but the branches were all the way down on the ground. And sucker branches had taken over the entire tree. And as a result, this tree only produced a few kind of apples. I'm not sure if you brought it into court that you could convict this of being an apple. It didn't have enough evidence. It was just, it was just pathetic. So I brought in a gardener and I said, well, what do we do with this tree? He said, it, it's not been pruned, All right? It's disobedient, it's undisciplined, it's untethered. Some of you, your life is like that. He said, what we're gonna need to do is a significant pruning of the tree. And then eventually, all of the life energy of the trunk will go out to the branches and the branches will become very fruitful again. And that's exactly what happened. It was a couple seasons later and we had lots of healthy apples. You are a branch, Jesus is the vine. You are a branch, Jesus is the trunk, to use that analogy. And dear friend, if you're a Christian, know that when painful times come, Say, man, this hurts like crazy. It is God's way of lovingly pruning some things in your character so that in the next season of your life, you can be fruitful. We all want a fruitful life, right? We don't wanna be pruned. There's no way to have fruitfulness without pruning. That's what Jesus is saying. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch, thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear how much fruit? Much fruit. And so proved to be my disciples. So as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Here's God's aspiration for your life. God wants you to have a fruitful life. 
internally fruitful. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the fruitful emotional life of Jesus. Externally, God wants you to have a fruitful life, healthy relationships with spouse, kids, friends, family. He wants your life to flourish. Internal, external, eternal. God wants all of this to be part of your great reward in heaven. How many of you want to be fruitful? You need to be connected to the vine and accept his pruning in your life. And this is relationship. And he talks about abiding. This is relational language. So how is your time in God's word? How is your time in prayer? How is your personal relationship with Jesus? And it's interesting to me, Grace and I were talking about it this week. This is, this is the week that our youngest son, or excuse me, our oldest son goes to college, our daughter's back to college, the kids start school. Um, we had a couple of birthdays this month in the family. Our church turns to today. And this week, Grace and I celebrate 26 years of marriage. 26 years of marriage, okay? And uh, I'll show you, I got a, a photo. This is one of our wedding photos, if you guys would throw that up. So I'm the one on the right, and then Grace is on the left. Just to, what they say is, as you get older, you look like one another. And every day I'm like, Lord, no, Lord, no, 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 no. No, I don't wanna get up and look at me. I like looking at Grace. Okay, so that's kind of our deal. Uh, happy to report God has answered that prayer. So she looks the same and I'm aging in dog years, but that's us when we were 21 years of age. Now, 26 years ago, we had no idea what the future held, amen? We met at 17, um, married at 21. I am happy to report that there is fruit in our relationship, okay? We love each other, we're close, we're friends. We get along. Um, this suit is a suit I just bought for uh, doing weddings, right? Because that's, that's you know, I mean, on a birthday and a wedding, and then when I die, I'll wear a suit. But other than that, I probably don't. And the guy asked me, he said, what do you want to put in your suit? Put your name right here. It says, I love my wife. And I put it over my heart so that every time I officiate a wedding or preach the gospel in a suit, I remember Jesus abides with grace and Jesus abides with me. And if we abide in his love, we'll abide there together. There is fruit in our family. Our kids love Jesus. There's fruit in our ministry. Some of you would say, well, how does that happen? Jesus. Grace has abided with Jesus for 26 years. I have abided with Jesus for 26 years. We've been through some really painful pruning seasons, but there's fruit in our life because of the love of Jesus. There have been days, I know this will shock you, that I am potentially difficult to live with. I know you're just like, Pastor Mark, that cannot be. Yes, I hate to break the news to you. Um, the reason that grace has endured with me is because Jesus has given her the love to love me. The reason that we can stick together is because the love, the patience, the forgiveness is not something that we need to be the vine and create. We are the branch and we receive. The love comes from Jesus, we give it to each other. The forgiveness comes from Jesus, we give it to each other. The relationship with Jesus is a relationship that we share with Jesus together. And I'll tell you, the key to every marriage is this, the branches both need to be connected to the same vine. And then the life of Jesus goes to both of you. And then there is fruit for you to share. Everybody wants a fruitful life. Most people don't understand they're a branch and that Jesus is a good vine, amen? How is your connection, your relationship with Jesus? Last one, number seven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
John 14. Let your hearts not be troubled. How many of you, you have troubled heart today? Like I'm a little burdened, I'm a little overwhelmed, I'm a little freaked out. I have some anxiety, I'm not sleeping that great. There are some things I'm concerned about. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in God who rules over your life and your circumstances. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you also may be. And you know to where I'm going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, God is a father. He's got a house in heaven. I have come here to invite you all to a relationship with your heavenly father and to enter into your eternal rest and his eternal home. Thomas says, I, we don't know where to go. Jesus said to him, I am, I am, I am. Again, my friends, 1,400 years. Nobody even said that name out of fear of misspeaking it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ, my friends, he is the only God. I am. Jesus Christ is the only God. I am. He is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to forgiveness of sin. He is the only way to eternal. I am the way. Some of you say there are other ways. Yes, and they, and they do not lead to life. They lead to death. All other ways lead to hell. They do not lead to heaven. Jesus is the way and the truth. Some of you say, I've heard things that disagree with this. Well, then they were wrong. Then they were incorrect. They were lies. They were not facts. They were falsities. I am the way, the truth, the life. My dear friends, there is no life or eternal life apart from Jesus Christ. Faith in relationship with forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, the life. We live in a world that will say, there are many ways, many truths, many lives. Jesus says, that is not true. I am the way, the truth, the life. The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No one, okay? This is Jesus' way of making a stand. This is Jesus' way of telling us the truth. You want a relationship with God? It's me. You wanna know who God is? It's me. You want sin forgiven? That's me. You want your hurts healed? That's me. You want your burdens lifted? That's me. You want light in a dark world? That's me. You want a good shepherd? That's me. You wanna raise from death? That's me. It's all Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's always Jesus, amen? And so what I am asking you to do today is to make a decision to respond to Jesus. Jesus comes, I told you at the beginning that when there's a relationship, one person initiates and says, hi, my name is so-and-so. And then we respond by saying, well, my name is, Jesus Christ knows your name. Jesus Christ reveals his name as the great I am. Jesus comes today to extend a hand of friendship and relationship to you. And he wants you to respond and say, Jesus, my name is so-and-so. Thank you for extending this hand of relationship with me. And this is the day when you make the most important decision to enter into the most important relationship that anyone will ever have or experience in their entire life. 
So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this is the day when it really just comes down to you and Jesus. He has told you his name. He has called you by name. Will you respond to him and say, this is the day that I commit myself to Jesus. This is the day that I cross that threshold of belief. This is the day when I walk through that doorway into that relationship that never ends with a God who loves me. And I love what Jesus says, because we have all these problems. And I would ask you, who's your bread of life? Jesus says, I am. I would ask you, my friend, who is the light of this dark world? Jesus says, I am. Who's your door to heaven? Jesus says, I am. Who is your good shepherd? Jesus says, I am. Who's your resurrection and life? Jesus says, I am. Who is your life-giving vine? Jesus says, I am. Who is your way, truth, and life? And Jesus says, I am. So what we're gonna ask you to do today is to make a decision and to agree with Jesus, declaring himself to be God and savior. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna respond. One of the ways that we respond is with baptism. And this is to show that God came to the earth that he became a man, that he lived without sin, that he died and was buried in our place for our sins, and he rose conquering Satan's sin, death, hell, and the wrath of God, amen? That he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And we show that in baptism, and we bury you and your old life, and we bring you up for your new and eternal life with Jesus. Let me pray and explain how to respond. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity to invite people into a soul-satisfying, sin-forgiving, destiny-altering, legacy-making relationship with their creator and their redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we invite you to give faith to those who would hear that they would respond to Jesus. Lord Jesus, you tell us your name, the great I am. You call us by our name as we are. And I pray right now for the power of the Holy Spirit to do a supernatural work in the life of the hearers that they would cross that line into relationship with Jesus in whose name we pray. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays. YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.